Hello, and welcome to the Everything Publishing Podcast, brought to you by Self-Publishing Services, the industry leader in author services and independent publishing. Today, you're here with me, Danica Winters, and I am a Publishers Weekly, Nielsen Bookscan, Walmart, Amazon, and Kobo bestselling author of over 20 novels. In addition to writing for divisions within HarperCollins, Simon & Schuster, and Macmillan, I am also a successful hybrid author. I'm the owner and business director of Self-Publishing Services, a business I'm extremely proud of. And I have to say, my greatest source of pride is our outstanding customer service and the desire to be, first and foremost, our author's advocates. If you have any questions, comments, or requests after listening to this podcast, please contact our company at selfpublishingservices at gmail.com or find us on social media at sp underscore services or you can find me at Danica Winters. Welcome to the Everything Publishing Podcast. You're here with me today, Melanie Callahan and Danica Winters. And we are two of the owners of Self-Publishing Services, and we like to talk about all things book-related. And today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to it in a second. I just wanted to take a step back and talk about um, some of the other things in my life that interest me. So I don't know if you know this, Danica, but I went to college as a college freshman because I was going to be a doctor right? <laughs> I did not know that. You would have been a great doctor, but I like you as a publishing professional instead. I mean, <laughs> if I could have made it through chemistry, I might have oh, been a good yeah. doctor, but chemistry was my nemesis. But I love okay. biology. Like in school, biology was my favorite subject. Um, I just, it was fascinating to me. And so I still remember there's so much detail that I remember useless detail at this point in my life. Um, from biology, but one of them that I sometimes get stuck in my head is the um, architecture or the binomial nomenclature, like the whole string of categories that you use to define what an animal is, right? And yeah. it's kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. And I remember it because we used to, you'd come up with a mnemonic device and it was King Philip cried, oh, for goodness sake. And so, the, you know, it's like, kingdom is animal and and now I don't even remember what most of them stand for but that's how you got to like (laughs) homo sapien homo sapien sapien you know those sorts of things and I thought oh yeah so interesting like my brain likes those sorts of super organized um you know follow this little map down this very clear path which is funny because it's if you look at some of um like the arguments in the biology world, it's still not clear. Like, okay, well, if you use this definition, a chicken is a man. You know, there's that whole thing with the guy. It's ancient. It's from like ancient Greece where they were trying to decide what makes a man. And it was like a a hairless biped. Well, technically a chicken is a hairless biped. (laughs) Oh, I love that argument. And then, and then they always talk about, well, humans are people use tools and then they had ravens. I, I remember this argument from biology. That is yeah. funny. I haven't thought about that in forever. Right. Yeah. So it's like this ongoing, as humans, we like to classify and organize and categorize and, and we have this dichotomous stru- structure. I mean, right. It totally like, makes sense. And I think that it's, you know, like working with a toddler, um, you give them two yeah. options because yeah. that is the, the way you get to a decision, you know? Right. 
exactly. It's like, well, do you want this or do you want this? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just unfortunate that the world does not actually work that way. And I have discovered that the world of publishing (laughs) is the same. We have this concept that we can categorize books or that we can create this structure, this cascading structure of organization to say, well, this book belongs in this category. Um, When it's not always entirely clear what category is most appropriate, um, and not everybody agrees on what those categories should be. <laughs> well, I think this starts at like a whole other level too. I mean, because a lot of times, and I, cause I'm the crew member that is kind of in charge of client acquisition and talking to new clients. And one of the things I continuously get from new writers is, Hey, I don't really know what genre this book is. Um, it's got some romance, it's got some action, it's got some murder and crime. And so they're like, I think it's a crime fiction. Right. And I'm like, no, well, how does it end? Like what, what is going on in this book? Like I want, I need to see a full synopsis. Um, and this goes back to that dichotomous structure, but I think before we can even decide on like what dichotomous structure is best for a book. I think the author needs to realize what they've really written. Yes. And that's super true because it always boils down to how is a platform, whether that's a physical bookstore or an Amazon or a Barnes and Noble or whoever, how are they going to sell this book? How are you going to market it? Which goes to who is your audience, right? Everything goes to who is your audience. So you have to have the right, you have to put it in the right place metaphorically so that people who are browsing that section can find it. And you have to craft your words around it to tell people what they can expect to read inside the book. And that can be really challenging. There's a lot of layers to that conversation, right? There's, you know, there's this concept of writing to market where it's like, okay, I know that in order to Like, yes, I want to write what I want to write, but in order to truly sell a book, I have to write what people want to read. Um, Exactly. And and because people, again, going back to this like habitual need to fit things into two categories as people, and because we are habitual creatures, that is where we are comfortable. That is what we're talking about. Like you, Mel, that's what you are talking about (laughs) And, and having be comfortable for your readers because there's nothing worse. And I think that especially in this digital age where people are reading all these Kindle books, um, we've all kind of come across one where we're like, this really doesn't fit what I expected. Right. Yep. Like this was marketed to me that I was sold on this book being X, Y, Z. And And you don't know how you got there on Amazon, right. Or draft to digital or Kobo or wherever you're buying your books. But, um, but you know that it was an algorithm set up for you. Okay. What you like, and then your cover, like the cover matched what you were expecting, but then the interior did not. Right. And so that, and that, be... that is means you're done as an author for that reader. And that is an opportunity lost. Right. And so it's super critical to make sure that you really have that deep understanding of where your books fit in the world. Um, I do think, and I would love to see this take off more or to see some kind of greater awareness around this. To me, it seems more like we should be tagging instead of categorizing because a book can fit multiple tags. It can also fit multiple categories. 
But the concept of tagging is more like, okay, this is historical. It is romance. It is also action adventure. It is also, and so there's less. Let me come at you from like a new author perspective. Is that okay? Totally. Okay. Cause I want, I want our listeners to really, really understand what we're talking about. Yes. So Mel, what is a category? First of all, let's start there. So a category is basically a way for a retailer, whether it's digital or physical, to shelve your book. They identify where would I, if I were putting this on a bookshelf somewhere or in a library somewhere, what section would I put this book in? Okay. And then you said tags. So what is a tag? So a tag is more of like, so we always start with the broadest category. Is this fiction or nonfiction? Well, this is fiction. Okay. So if it's fiction, is it historical? Is it romance? Is it mystery? Is it, you know, what are some of these broader categories? And it's, that's where we start to get into category versus tag. So something can be a historical romance with elements of adventure or fantasy or whatever as opposed to being this is a fantasy a romantic fantasy with you know it it can go lots this is where we always want to structure it and say well it clearly follows these lines and it doesn't always so the, the tagging is a little bit less that's more what you do with your keywords and your metadata the first step though is having to decide what primarily is the focus of this book so if I'm reading okay, before before we jump into that mm-hmm. you just mentioned another term that I would like to touch on and like again what is what is you sp- you said category you said tags and now you've established metadata as another keyword here yes. so what is the difference between metadata tags and categories what So metadata is a term that refers to all of the information about your book. It's your author name, it's your about the author profile, it's your blurb, it's your categories, it's all encompassing. It's all of the details that essentially any kind of search engine is going to crawl through, filter through, and say, okay, somebody typed in a search for X, Y, and Z, oh, look, based on all of this information that you've told us about your book, you're a good fit for this search. So we're going to pop you up in the search results. That is awesome. That is awesome. I love that. You know, what kind of comes to mind, Mel, is like you're talking about like streams and rivers and oceans, right? Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so kind of making the water run backwards, like, Yep. All of all of the books out there are in the ocean. Yep. Right. Yep. And then we, exactly. we want to river them into a certain like your your main category, what let's say fiction. And yep. then that's gonna be the river and then a stream going into that river. Whatever. We're following me, right? Or an totally or whatever we want to do. But um then we have this little stream which is romance. And within yep. that stream we have headwaters, which are your keywords and your metadata which yep. are big beautiful women um right or what am I trying to say? like um small town romance or... thank you I was like what are my what are my right. tropes 
I got to come yeah. up with tropes here. So many. So my brother's best friend. Uh, yeah. And like billionaires and all of those things. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so that makes complete sense to me. Hopefully our, our, our new authors and um, yet to be published authors understand and our listeners understand that that's, that's what this is. I mean, if you guys have questions, make sure you ask them in, in uh, our comments. Cause yes. I, I think this stuff is intriguing and especially if we understand the mechanics behind why something works the way it does, it is a lot easier to control and a lot easier to change and go with the, with the market, which is really important. Yes. We've talked a ton about categories, but like who and what controls these categories? Like what are these categories called and that you, that are run? through the systems? So that's a really good question. There is actually an industry group out there that has created a list of categories called BISAC codes, B-I-S-A-C. And this is an industry group that's primarily made up of booksellers. Um, There is some kind of connection with libraries in there, but libraries kind of have their own system, the Dewey Decimal System and all of that. For Mm -hmm. booksellers, this is kind of where they start, is with this concept of BISAC codes. And it is so similar to the concept of binomial nomenclature and the King Philip cried, oh, for goodness sake. They start at that very broad end. Is this fiction or nonfiction? And from there, you drop down into all of these additional, more definitive categories and you can get six or seven levels deep on these categories. Um, and that's really the kind of the heart of this concept of categories, but not all platforms approach them the same way. Um, so if you're talking about an Amazon, they also take that concept of these BISAC codes, these um, really specific drop down categories getting more and more specific. And they also overlay that with information they have from their own platform, from their own shoppers. So they'll use, you know, search data that people, you know, have millions and millions and millions of searches per day will give them information. Oh, okay, we can group these things together because this is what people click on when they search for this family of keywords, right? Which may not perfectly align with those BISAC codes. So they'll take some liberties with how those things are categorized. But it's basically that idea of starting big and refining down until you specify, this is where my book belongs. Um, So, So you're not in the ocean of books so nobody can find you. Exactly. You're not in the ocean of books. You're in a very small stream of books. And the idea from an author standpoint is that it's good to be in a small stream because if you're in a small stream, you're more likely to land in front of eyeballs that are looking for your specific type of book. Um, It it reduces the competition that you face. Um, The challenge with that is that you are going to belong in more than one stream because depending on how specific you can get with your BISAC codes or with your categories, you can both belong in contemporary romance slash Westerns and contemporary romance slash small towns. You know, like there are multiple, that's where I was saying it'd be really nice if instead of just categorizing, we could tag. That's where your keywords come in too. Um, yeah, basically. And, and, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but no. like, so 
how many bicep codes or categories can a person actually pick when they're so, setting up and, and um, uploading their books? That is a really good question. So that also somewhat depends on the platform. So draft to digital I believe allows you to choose, is it up to five it's categories? Five, yeah. yeah. So five BISAC codes, because they follow, for the most part, the BISAC coding, you can choose up to five. And what you want to do when you do that is order them. You want to pick five, and I would say definitely go ahead and pick all five. Don't feel like you can just, you know, like, oh, well, I should only, I only have to pick one. Pick all five. But Does order it matter? Them- in the- oh, sorry. I was just asking, what, what kind of order should we pick them in for draft digital? Mm-hmm. In descending order of um, relativity, relativity, right. So pick the one that is most closely related to your book first and then go down from there. So you have one that's like, yep, this fits. It may not be the ideal fit, but it's close and it, and it definitely works. And there are definitely readers in that category who will appreciate my book. Um, So that's, so draft to digital gives you five and that's awesome. Um, KDP gives you on the upfront when you're loading in your metadata, it'll tell you select your categories. You can only pick two. You can tell it specifically, I belong in this category and this category. Something that's really interesting about KDP is that the available categories for their print books are different than the available categories for their digital books. Um, they stick more, yeah, they stick more closely to the BISAC hierarchy on the print side, on the digital side, I think that they, and this again is where terms like algorithm get thrown around, um, their categories on the digital side appear to be more driven by their own data than by BISAC codes specifically. So, mm-hmm. but see, this is a weird question, but do you think that they are making more money from the digital side? So that is where they're driving consumerism? Uh, that seems entirely likely. I mean, they are known as the number one digital retailer for books, right? Yeah. Uh, By far and away. I don't know off the top of my head how the rankings go for print books. I'm sure they're number one there as well, just because they're the 800 pound gorilla. Um, For self-publishing, definitely. Yeah. 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 So I would say, and I mean, Amazon is a digital company, right? Like, and they're all about the, the digital space. And so my guess would be, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of spin off some data into, oh, this is really how we should, like, let's revolutionize the way we list books, right? I wouldn't be surprised to see that from Amazon because yeah. they're going to take all of that data that they gather every time somebody goes to their website and starts searching things and they can Mm -hmm. say, well, this makes more sense than following this BISAC code thing. Right. Well, exactly. Exactly. They are the innovators. Right. So, okay. So on BISAC codes, again, coming back to that, I mean, we could have a discussion on Amazon like all day, but um, on BISAC codes, what happens if we get them wrong? You want to fix them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, okay, I, I led you to that question because I just read something on the BASG, which is your industry study group, that basically, get it right the first time, duh, um, yeah. which is where you need, if you, if you need help, call us, right. but um, 
where that is important is the librarians and the booksellers are not going to do it for you. No, no, they're not. And, and so basically you shot yourself in the foot, your book is dead. So it doesn't matter how good your story is. It doesn't matter how good your editing is. It doesn't matter how good your cover looks. None of that is important, as important as your basic codes and your categories. So make sure. Ultimately, what that means is that you've walked into a bookstore and said, here is my book and it belongs in this. um, Well, let's just say it belongs in mystery and thriller categories. And I want it to be in cozy mystery. And somebody picks it up and it's gory and it's violent and it's, you know, more horror than mystery. Yeah. They're going to put it down and walk away. You're not going to sell any books and the, and the bookstore is going to say, we're pulling that book off our shelves. It's not a good seller and we're not interested in carrying well, it. Well, what, what I have seen from authors, this is crazy, but like, and this is a, they don't understand what, what is happening and why this is important. And, and that's why we're doing this podcast. But um, what I have seen from authors is literally like they would take a short story or a, a young adult fiction, let's say, um, and try to pigeonhole it into juvenile fiction. Okay. Right. And, and I know that that you're like, I don't know what the difference is between there. Well, that's mm-hmm. why we're here. But right. um, basically you're taking a, a new adult book or a, a young adult book with sexualized content. Yeah. Yep. And you're trying to sell it to an eight-year-old. Yeah. Not that good. is where we run into problems. Right. And, and that you can't allow that. And I know you're trying to... Um, expand your readership base. Cause that is such a niche market right there. Yeah. Um, because you you only have like a five year span of somebody's life where they're going to really be interested in this, in this type of concept and these ideas and, and the delivery. Right. Yep. But here's the secret from the booksellers world is kids, especially reading kids, the, the kids that love to read, um, not reading kids. That's funny. <laughs> um, kids that love to read, read up. Yep. And so I'm not saying you're st- selling to an eight-year-old, but I'm selling that, saying that you are going to sell to a 12-year-old who loves to read 15-year-old fiction. Yeah. Well, that, yes, that is absolutely true. I mean, hence the fact that how many of us who started reading romance when we were 12, because we snuck into our grandma's bookshelves and we're like, Whoa, e- exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you put it in a hand that's a new reader. Right. You, you've killed their reading, like, if, yeah. especially if it's shocking to them. And like, and you've killed your platform, you've killed your branding. Like, and again, I want to come back to the idea, like, and coming off the subject of juvenile fiction to young adult or right. um, children's fiction, you know, let's, that talk, I want to dovetail branding in with this because so much of this comes back to the author there yeah. under, and this is where we started and that's kind of why I'm coming back to this place but like um knowing what they are selling knowing yeah. what they are writing and then incorporating that and this comes back also it it pulls in those keywords and those tags that we were talking about yeah and how they can use those on their private side away from the POS the point of sale and the distribution platforms how can they incorporate that into their branding Oh, and that is so critical. And that's something that goes to this concept of metadata being everything you say about your book, wherever you say it. So you can work those keywords or those categories or, 
those phrases into your about the author section. You work them into your blurb for sure. You work them into um, if you have editorial reviews coming in that highlight those, you know, that hit on and specifically use those terms. Those are all important pieces of information that help reinforce kind of subconsciously to the consumer oh, this book is exactly what I'm looking for. And of course, then it also reinforces to the bots that crawl your data. Oh, it's picking up on that keyword. So it definitely fits here. And I see that keyword. It's the same thing. The bots and the people, they do the same thing. They go, oh, I'm, I'm seeing words and I'm hearing details that reinforce that this is the kind of book I want to buy. And so we want to do that on other people's blogs. Everywhere. We want to do that on podcasts that we do with our, when we, as an author, when you're marketing your book and you're doing public speaking, yep. you want to supply your podcast or your inner, your blog, whatever you are on or being seen at, um, give them a list of keywords, give them a list of, because they appreciate it. And that's part of your, your media package. Yep. Um, and, and that way, your Google bots are finding you everywhere. And, and that's what Mel is saying. I'm just trying to reiterate that um, in a way that is usable. And um, when you go in and you write into your blog, make sure that you're incorporating those there as well and, and doing it often. I yeah. am, as, do as I say, not as I do, because I'm terrible about updating my website. But <laughs> if I was a good little author, I would be on there every week talking about our podcast, talking about what we're doing, what what's going on. Maybe I'll try to do that, but God, I'm so busy. I need, I need a virtual assistant. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, make sure that you are hitting every area. If you do need a virtual assistant, right, get one. I, yeah. I'm, again, do as I say, not as I do. But um, yeah, so make sure that you are informed on your subjects, on your categories, on who you are as an author, this goes again back to our business plans that we've talked about ad infinitum, our and we'll marketing plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that go into this conversation, um, but if you understand it, that's the key. And if if you guys have any questions, reach out. We're on social media. You can find Mel. You can find myself, Dan Winters. Mel, what's what's your handle on uh, social media? Uh, at Melanie Callahan. Okay, um, and I'm just at author Danica Winters and Danica Winters you can find me I'm pretty accessible um but if you guys have questions reach out where we like to talk about books clearly so Mel especially we can (laughs) we can nerd out I mean this is the world of spreadsheets and all that stuff that I just love Um, (laughs) there are a couple more points that I definitely want to make about this though because so we've talked a lot about the do's you know carefully curate your categories oh that is so alliterative I love it um Carefully curate your categories, carefully curate your keywords. Um, look at that. Man, I am on fire. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we need to make you a nomadic device. Exactly. Yeah. The three C's and the one K. Um, <laughs> but so those are the do's, right? You're going to do research. You're going to look into this. You're going to dis- decide who am I as an author? Who is my audience? And how do I talk to them? The thing you are not going to do, oh, and the other thing that you are going to do is you're going to revisit that on a regular basis, you know, for your backlist or whatever, because times change, people change, searches change, and keywords change. So just keep that in mind, and we'll touch on that in a different podcast, but 
be aware that that is a part of it. But the one thing you are not going to do is category stuff. And you may notice this as a reader. I find it super annoying if I am searching Amazon or searching Barnes and Noble or Kobo or whatever for a specific book. And I try to navigate through their categories and I say, okay, show me the top bestsellers in this particular category. And I look at the top 10 and I'm like, none of these are what I want. These are not, these don't belong in this category. And the reason that they show up there is is kind of twofold. One is because in trying to target the metadata, oftentimes marketers or metadata creators will be like, all right, we're going to make this as, we're going to cast as wide a net as possible. We're going to show up everywhere we can possibly show up. And there's logic to that. Um, But ultimately you're, you're watering down your audience that way. It is a much more successful strategy to say, I want to be as efficient at targeting my ideal reader as I can possibly be. I don't want to throw my book into a category that is so tangentially related, people are going to be crabby that they have to filter through my book to get to the book they really want. Um, I have so many, we could have a whole podcast on that idea, on stuffing, because that to me is intriguing. And I, and I know why they do that. And I hope our, our, our listeners understand without us talking about a whole lot, why people do that. Cause I don't want to advocate for that. Um, no, because I think what that is going to end up being is where Amazon comes in, has their bots roll through books and goes, no. And that's exactly what we run the risk of. So there's always this kind of push-pull relationship with KDP where the categories are increasingly more difficult to get into and, and then their algorithm changes and whatnot. That's because they are continually trying to combat people who are trying to get around their systems, right? The stuff so there's yeah. this constant like balance between, okay, Amazon's going to set it up this way. Well, I don't like the way they've set it up. So I'm going to try and find a loophole or a workaround. And then Amazon's going to come shut that down. And then the impact is for the people who are not trying to get around it. It's just as bad as it is for the people who are trying to use that loophole. So yeah. when And, and you, in the end, it is the author that pays on that. It is. Um, yeah. Because Amazon, Amazon is going to flag you. Yep. You're just, they're going to flag you as a distributor. So not only does it hurt that book, but it's going to hurt all of your other books when they figure you out. And they will figure you out. They're very, very savvy. So be careful. Like, I, I know it's tempting to be like, you know what? I just want to break into the market. And like desperation ca- causes desperate choices, which is never healthy. Right. So, and, and I mean, even if, if you back it all the way up to your business plan, it does not ROI. It doesn't make no. sense for you to spend your time and in some cases your money trying to fit into all of these categories that aren't ultimately going to earn you sales. So if you approach it from a mindset of my goal is to get in front of my ideal reader and make sales, then in, that an, ethical, will, in an ethical way, in an ethical way, then that's going to lead you down the path of more successful marketing with a better ROI. Um, but and long-term, I think long-term sales and long-term because sales. you're going to establish a really, really concise readership base without all of the grassroots stuff. Right. Um, and that, that is where my career has been built. And like, I love all the grassroots stuff. I just don't have time for it. Right. And so 
all of my books now are people that have been reading me for 10 years. Right. Which is where you want to go. I mean, that is our goal as authors is it's like, I want to establish myself as a known quantity for a group of readers who are going to kind of say, this is an auto buy for me. Yeah. And it's guaranteed sales. So they're following me on Amazon. They're following me on um, BookBub. They're following me on Harlequin. You know what I mean? And then from there, when they see my name pop up, they buy, which I thank you so much to those readers that do that. But then they tell their friends about that. But it's because of a very, and, and this was my idea when we started this project, when we started this company, when I started my career, I was very, 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 very concise in what my goals were. Yep. And that is so critical because if you have big, broad sweeping goals, it's really hard to build an action plan to get to those goals. And that doesn't mean I don't sway off that or that writers don't sway. Cause there's times where I'm like, I don't want to write a romance. Like I (laughs) just want to like write a story that is really fun and like murder a lot of people. Right. Um, right. But I do that. I still do that. It's just, I'm not putting it under my main brand. Right. And that makes sense. And you have the room now to build off of that because. But but I had to build a career and know bicycle codes and know the choices that will, would lead me there. And so hopefully our, our new authors and our establishing authors and our yet to be published authors and listeners understand that this is, this is the long game. Right. And understanding these facets is, is critical to playing the long game. Exactly. And it is, it's always, always look at that in terms of, okay, ultimately down the road, 10 years from now, what's going to be most effective for me? How do I build yeah. toward 10 years from now? And starting with well-researched categories that fit your book is critical. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Thanks, Mel. You've been awesome, Mel. You're so smart. I love oh, listening you. to you. I feel like oh. I learned things too from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a nerd and I will talk, you know, binomial nomenclature. I'm going to write that down so I can Google it later. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm probably using it in the wrong context. <laughs> I love it. I love learning new words. So, all right, Mel, well, thank you for spending your time with us today. And, th- and hopefully we can bang out another podcast here soon and, and visit about more book stuff. Everything yeah. publishing, right? There's more to talk about. There's everything to talk about in the Everything Publishing Podcast. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to reach out to services at gmail.com or find us on any of the social media platforms at sp underscore services or contact Danica Winters at Danica Winters on social media. We look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to bringing you many more episodes all about everything publishing.